Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. In my opinion, and I know this would be shared by a lot of avid turkey hunters, the thing about turkey hunting is the game. So a, a yelp is, you know, it's a two-tone note that a turkey makes. You know, I think that the beard is the big noticeable thing, but really what defines the maturity and the social status of a turkey is his spurs, and that's what he fights with. And you can get them as simple as just a basic small game upland-style vest all the way to a very fancy vest that's got the kickstand thing where you can sit up in a bush and have a and lean back against the vest. A biologist told me one time, probably an analogy type talk, but a turkey can see a tick crawling up the side of a tree at 50 yards through the woods. I would have never thought in a million years that I was going to get that excited. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. If you would have told me that a stupid turkey was going to make me get that excited, I would have told you you were crazy. This is Locke Wheeler with T3 Game Calls and the Progression Series presented by Scree Gear, and you're listening to Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all, welcome to episode 92 of Living Country in the City. You know, I've got a super information-packed episode for y'all, but before we get to that, I just want to say a huge thank you to Sawyer Products for their continual support of the podcast. Y'all, spring and summer are coming up, and as we all know, with that comes the bugs. Make sure y'all get your hands on some Sawyer insect repellent. They have just about any type you could imagine, sprays, lotions, stuff that's safe for your gear, stuff that's safe for your skin, and it is absolutely bulletproof. This stuff is great, y'all. Make sure you check it out at Sawyer.com. All right, y'all, for today's episode, I hopped on the line with a really good buddy of mine that I've known for a couple of years now, Locke Wheeler, out in Louisiana. Locke is just an awesome, no-nonsense, super down-to-earth guy, and he is the man when it comes to turkey hunting. This guy has 
so much knowledge to share, and he really lays out a lot of it. So if y'all are interested in turkey hunting, interested in getting started in turkey hunting, make sure y'all give this one a real careful listen. Hey, Locke, thanks so much, man, for hopping on the call today. Yes, yeah, Sam. Thanks for having me, man. So um, for those that have not listened uh, to our I guess you've been on the podcast before, way back in the day, uh, when we were all out uh, uh, bow fishing together, but for those who did not listen to that podcast, uh, why don't you give just a quick intro about yourself and how you got your start in hunting? Okay, well, I'm um, I'm originally from Mississippi. I currently live in Louisiana, but uh, right near the state line, and I still, I kind of reside here, uh, Louisiana and Mississippi, um, and you know, as far as my start in hunting i mean i i grew up in the south where hunting is culture and religion you know <laughs> to a, a, of a of sorts so uh whenever i was old enough for my dad to drag me out in the woods is where i got started you know so uh i've been hunting since i was old enough to go with my dad and i was blessed enough to have uh grandfathers and and fathers and then friends and their dads and you know, hunting has always just been a part of our life, uh, small game, big game, you know, mostly deer and squirrel and rabbit and turkey and that kind of stuff. But fishing and hunting is just, uh, it was just how I was raised down here in the South. And, uh, you know, now as an adult, um, I've been involved in uh, the outdoor industry from a retail standpoint and uh, from a media standpoint and calling and, and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of grew up in an area of the world where, outdoor film and outdoor television kind of got started with Primos and Mossy Oak and Realtree all being right here in my backyard, uh, literally in my backyard down the road from me, some of the main players in that. And they started producing the yearly VHS tapes of uh, The Truth About Hunting and Monster Bucks and all that. And um, so it was always a big deal for us, you know, to, to get the, the, the movies every year. And so uh, just always had an interest in the industry side of the outdoors and then as a professional out of college and stuff i found myself doing inventory retail work through it in the outdoor industry and was always big in turkey calling contests because i've always been a big turkey caller and uh that led me into kind of the game call market and working with some of that and uh my it and technical background led me to the camera world and the production world from a software and technical standpoint and all those things have just molded together to like i am a jack of all master of none <laughs> well so you mentioned uh you mentioned the turkey calling and that's uh that's a big portion of why i wanted to have you on um to be honest i don't exactly know what your role is with t3 but uh is it uh your company do you partner with someone uh, but you're involved in uh t3 game calls yeah so i kind of joke and give myself all these strange titles like you know just uh master of everything vice president operations dude you know ceo but i mean really there's nothing official i'm not the owner um a gentleman named bruce solly who's been in the turkey uh call and turkey competition calling game for a very long time this is his company and i mentioned earlier that uh i i did outdoor retail and when I was a little younger and uh, 
through that, I kind of met him and started helping him with uh, getting his stuff online and selling online because he, you know, that wasn't something that he had any experience with and he needed help. And I was using his calls for, you know, for myself as a, in competitions and as well as uh, hunting. And, you know, that's kind of how we came together. And now I'm just kind of like, I'm kind of like the second man in charge of, he does a lot of the, the business side of things as far as, you know, materials and call building and stuff like that. And I do most of the, uh, well, all of the marketing and online stuff and a lot of those kind of strategies and stuff like that. So he, he owns it, but I'm just kind of like, I don't know, I'm just kind of the, kind of whatever needs to be done kind of guy. <laughs> I get you, I get you. So I, I, I let's face it, I know absolutely nothing about about turkey calling turkey hunting um even more transparent up until recently i had zero interest in it if you had told me when i first started getting interested in hunting that i i was going to be wanting to chase turkeys i would have thought you were crazy um but i've just i've recently started this i don't know that i've or started i've i've really develop this this really keen interest in it and it's so great because you know here in California we don't have a spring bear season but we do have a spring turkey season and short of predators it's one of the you know few things that I'm actually able to hunt uh, that time of year what what is it specifically that draw that kind of drew you you said you're a big turkey caller what is it really that drew you to turkey hunting yeah well for me um there's a lot of ways to turkey hunt and i you know i I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush but in my opinion and i know this would be shared by you know a lot of avid turkey hunters the thing about turkey hunting is the game you know um there's a lot of skill and preparation that goes into all types of hunting, but in a lot of situations, you know, you, you 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 are reliant on luck. I mean, yeah, luck is a, you know, somewhat a product of preparation, but, you know, with turkey hunting, you're calling the bird to you. I mean, yeah, there are some people that just go and sit and wait on the turkey to walk by, but, you know, the sport of spring turkey hunting is revolved around the bird is gobbling, and you are trying to uh, call the bird to you. So it's a cat and mouse game. It is a true hunt in every definition of the word. Um, it's, you know, it's tactical. And, and the, the true nature of a, of a Tom is he gobbles and he struts and he puts on this grand show in the spring to attract the hens to him. That's, that's how God made these animals. So when you're out there calling and trying to get him into, into range that you can take a shot you're actually convincing him to do something that is against his nature. His nature is to get into an open area, to strut, to be big, bright, beautiful, gobble, loud, and have all the hens come to him. So if you think about that, what you're doing is you're, you're, you've got to fool him, and you've got to get him to come to you, which is not how God made him. That is not his instinct. And that challenge is what is so, you know, fascinating and so addictive to me is every hunt is different and i know every every type of hunt is different in its own way and i'm a big game hunter and all that stuff too but man there's just something about that and i've not had the opportunities myself to do a lot of the spot and stalk big game hunting that i know you guys do a lot of out in the west but i 
especially elk hunting in September. I think it's probably that same kind of attraction and draw that you guys get from that is that excitement of, man, the excitement of the spot and the stalk and the call and the elk is just as exciting as the harvest. It's probably more exciting as the harvest. You know, and that's how I, that's how I am with turkeys, and I know that's how uh, lots of guys are that, uh, you know, that I've hunted with and, and that I know and that I talk to as turkey hunters is, man, you know, there's this, almost a sense of I, once I call him up there, I don't want to shoot him because if I shoot him, I can't hunt him again, you know. <laughs> the hunt is what it's about, man, and it's it's so exciting and it's so thrilling that uh, it's just, uh, you know, you want to experience that where, you know, you put your woodsmanship to the test. You put your calling to the test every day that you go out and chase these birds. And when you pick the right spot and you make the right calls and you fool that bird whose instinct is to stand out there out of harm's way and attract the hens to him for, for breeding, when you fool him to get within, you know, for a bow within 20 yards, you know, for a shotgun, you know, likely within 40 yards, and you get him there and he's completely fooled and he is in love and he is gobbling and he is, it, it, man, the rush and the excitement of that is, uh, it's crazy. It's it, it's awesome. And, and I've hunted with so many people, Sam, just like you, that, man, I never really thought much about it, but I kind of got interested I want to go. And then you go out there and you call up a bird, and whether you whether you shoot the bird or not, you know, you get the full experience. The bird puts on a show, and they're like, man, I would have never thought in a million years that I was going to get that excited. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. If you would have told me, that a stupid turkey was going to make me get that excited, I told you you were crazy. You know, but it's just a, man, it's an exciting hunt. And uh, just all of those things just, you know, keep you coming back for more. It sounds like it, man. You can just hear it listening to you talk. Um, so let's, uh, pun not intended, let's talk turkey uh, basics here. Okay. You got the absolute basics for for the idiot like me. Um you got toms, you got hens, you got jakes, right? Am I missing anything in the... That's pretty much it. I mean, a poult. A poult is a baby turkey, but that's, you know, I don't guess that counts because the, <laughs> there's no poults in turkey season. They're already grown up by then. But, uh, yeah, so a tom is a a tom is a two-year-old or older turkey. I mean, the, the mortality rates of turkeys are high, obviously, like any bird. You know, it's a large nest, hatched nest. And... uh the a tom is considered two year olds or higher, and I mean a turkey that's four years old is that's pretty that's pretty old in turkey in in turkey world. A jake is a one year old turkey. You know uh, the little short stubby beard. If you look at his tail when he fans out, um, his tail will be broken, and basically the middle section of his tail feathers will be longer than the outer section. So it'll kind of make a, a ledge. You know where a a tom has a full fan. All the, the feathers make a full half moon. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, and as far other than that, and sexual maturity, um, they're, they 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 pretty much act the same. Jakes are obviously like all other immature birds. They're they're a little bit dumber, less seasoned. But uh, in most states, and most avid turkey hunters don't shoot jakes because you know it's just kind of a you know unwritten rule. Let them grow up. Let them become toms. But then you got the hens, and, you know, um, there's always more hens than toms, and hens are hens are very territorial as well, and that's one of these big challenges is, you know, you get in a spot with uh, uh, some older hens, what you would 
uh, here referred to as boss hens, mm-hmm. uh, they're very territorial. And if they don't recognize you and you're out there calling, they're going to do everything they can to take their tom or toms and, and take them away because they don't want them breeding with other hens. So um, that's kind of your hierarchy. And that, you know, that's what you're dealing with in terms of what you should expect to encounter in a flock. So now if I'm looking for, for that big old trophy turkey, um, you know, if I want to get like, what, what is, what do you look for in like a quote unquote trophy turkey? Like what's the, what are the, the characteristics? Yeah. So the, the prime, the, I guess the three measurables in the, in the, in the turkey uh, trophy book is beard length, spur length, and, and weight. Um, and as, as I'm sure you know and, and others that listen know, there's, there's several uh, subspecies of the wild turkey across the country, and they're not all equal. The Merriams and, and, you know, what are bigger than the Osceolas just in general. So the biggest Osceola is the size of a small Merriam. But generally speaking, um, you know, the beard comes out of the front of the chest and it starts to curve. Once it breaks over and makes a curve, that's an indication that another indication outside the tail feathers that the bird is two years old or older and mature. So beard length typically in your most of your turkeys throughout the country are Easterns or Rios, most of them. That kind of spans the largest section. And so a big mature gobbler is going to be a 10-inch beard, um, an inch spurs. A monster turkey is going to have a 12-inch beard and, you know, inch and a half plus spurs. And then, you know, 20 pounds is kind of your benchmark for a big turkey. You get down in, in Florida and kind of deep south, those birds, a big turkey is more like 18 pounds. You get out in in uh, further north, I mean, they get up in the mid-20s. So that's really your only measurables is beard length, spur length, and, uh, and you know, the size of the bird relative to where you're hunting. And, you know, I think that the beard is the big noticeable thing because you see the bird is strutting and you see all his plumage and you see that beard and the, the long beard gobbler you know but really what defines the maturity and the social status of a turkey is his spurs because that's what he fights with you know so a turkey that's got big spurs and sharp spurs longer spurs is actually the more dominant more mature turkey because the beard can be affected by so many things they can get beard rot you know it can get torn and pulled on and stuff like that so you can you know much like an old mature buck who doesn't grow a lot of horns but he's the biggest baddest dude in the woods um you know, you might kill a, a bird with a seven, eight inch beard, but he's got inch and a half, you know, sharp daggers for spurs, and he's probably a, a pretty dominant bird. Gotcha. So, just uh, just to define for the listeners, uh, what 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 is the beard? What are the spurs? Like, if you're looking at a turkey. Yeah, if you're looking at the turkey, the 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 black, uh, what you would call it, like hair, it's a beard. You know, it comes out under his wattles, the, the red part of his head. In the center of his chest, the, the, the hair that kind of comes out and makes a braid of sorts, that's the beard. And then the spurs are on his legs, you know, between his, what I guess you would call his knee and his foot. Uh, the same thing that's on a chicken that, you know, fighting roosters have. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a spur, and it's just like a big, you know, sharp-pointed toenail type that sticks out the back of their leg. And, that, you know, when they fly up and they, they attack, that, that they use that spur to, to fight with. You just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you just caught me. There's a, a quote that I use with a couple of buddies all the time from Waterboy, and 
I don't know. <laughs> well, if I would guess, I would say it's about his knee. Uh, and you, yeah, I, I exactly. Just about, I, I was actually that kind of thing going through my mind. Like, I just about lost it. On a <laughs> I don't know if that's what you call it, oh but the God. bend in his leg. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess it's his knee. I don't know. I don't <laughs> that's, know. That's a good question. But That's all that was going through my head when you said that. <laughs> look, honestly, I didn't think of the movie The Waterboy, but that kind of the, the connotation of what you're talking about was going through my head. I was like, should I call this a knee? Is it a knee? <laughs> I don't know, but that's the best thing that came to mind. But look, you like people, you want to, you know, people kind of want to know about a turkey. Let me tell you something. Pound for pound, that is a bad dude. You don't, you know, you think it's just a bird. I mean, you see, you see these YouTube videos of these barnyard turkeys messing with people and goose that chase. Dude, a turkey will tear you up. They got them spurs and yeah, they're on their legs and. You know, but yeah, you go up there and grab a turkey that ain't dead. You'll find out exactly how you can use those spurs because they, they, a turkey is a mean animal when he wants to be, and he is he a big mature gobbler. You know, they say I've listened to with the NWTF events, and you know they got the big NWTF convention in Nashville in February with the Grand National Calling Contest and and all that, and uh, I've listened to so many biologists talk about different things, and the mortality rate of turkeys is high. But they say that once a turkey reaches what we call in the south a super jake, a super jake is a big jake. You know, you got what we call a pigeon. I guess you asked about this, and I didn't go into this, but this is this is kind of a a subset of what you asked. So you kind of got two different jakes. You got a jake that we call I don't know what the the scientific biologist uh, terminology is exactly, but. I'll use my lingo, okay? And you talking about the water boy. I'm down here in water boy country. So uh, <laughs> um, we call a big jake that can gobble and strut and, and will challenge other birds, we call those super jakes. And, you know, their beard will be three or four inches long, and they'll have a little they'll have little knobby spurs. I mean, they're not really sharp enough for them to fight with, but they're big enough to gobble. You know, there's a debate amongst – I've heard debate amongst biologists about whether they can actually reproduce or not, but they'll try. You know, and we call those super jakes, and they'll they'll fool you. You know, you'll be in the woods, and he'll be gobbling, and you'll think it's a you know a big tom, and he'll show up, and he's a jake. You know, but he can gobble just like a tom, and he'll run other toms off if there's more than one of them. Um, and then what we call a pigeon is a, I guess a later hatch jake, and they I mean they'll they they basically act like they they're kind of stupid. Truthfully, they they just they just peck around. They don't they don't really participate in the They'll gobble every now and then later in the spring, but they don't really participate in the breeding stuff. The hens don't really hang out with them. They're just kind of outcast. They're like the little pimple-faced teenagers that aren't really physically mature enough to be a part of the the varsity squad, but they're but they're not, you know, they're too pimply and whatever to be a part of the girls. They're, you know, they're just kind of outcast, you know, but um so that's kind of your two different jakes. Um guess I just threw that in there since I missed that part of the question earlier. No, that's awesome. Um, I've seen, like, I can, I, you can see in a lot of videos how aggressive they are. Cause like, uh, I, I see a lot of ads and a lot of videos for those, um, those turkey decoys that you can like hide behind. Yeah. And, uh, and you just see turkey, like, and you know, with that being said, Sam, they don't fight fair because you know how <laughs> all that works. Like, they don't. They're like, they're punks, you know. They're like the little punk kids on the corner. 
if you get one turkey, so uh, you add the question. I think that we were talking about. I was saying I've heard the debate from biologists about the mortality rate. They say once a turkey gets to what I was considering superject, there's not really a whole lot out there that's going to kill him. I mean, a, a predator obviously can, but he's big enough and strong enough and wily enough that they they don't they once they get to that mature age, the human is really unless you got a super high predator population. But um, what I was saying, you know, the fans and stuff, that works up. Um, that's really more of a Midwestern and really any area of the country where you got a lot of open ground. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that is that you know, if you really dive into what's going on, they're punks because if you get one gobbler out in the field by himself and you flash that fan at him, he's liable to leave because he, he you know, whatever. But if there's two or three of them, they're going to come get you. <laughs> you know, uh, if you get a couple, two, two or three two-year-olds, and they think, "Oh, we got the old man cornered now," and and the Jakes will do that. That's a, you especially in places like Texas where there's super high turkey uh, population density. Mm-hmm. Man, these big Jakes, they'll get you know they they don't really separate like the old turkeys because you know they haven't really figured out the whole breeding pattern, the sexual maturity thing. So they stay in groups of five or six, and they're big enough to be dangerous. And Man, they'll they'll harass gobblers, and I've hunted in Texas specifically, and other places with a lot of turkeys on. Where, man, you can't, you know, you get on a big turkey, and he's scared to death if he thinks the jakes are around because every time he struts and gobbles, the jakes come run him off. You know, uh, they're very aggressive, very aggressive animals in, in the springtime specifically. Yeah, I've seen I've seen tons of videos of them charging and and all kinds of crazy crap and you don't expect it you kind of a i don't know especially like you know you've seen barnyard ones you expect them to almost be like a a friendly jolly animal (laughs) i don't know yeah they're not at all (laughs) they're 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 like first cousins with a goose and i think everybody that's ever watched youtube knows how mean a goose is (laughs) sounds about right yeah you don't mess with a goose either man oh yeah like Goose is bad, and the, the turkey's the same way. I mean, I, you know, they're very different. Um, and the, for people that are mostly fall big game hunters, you know, they they have wintering flocks, and they have, um, you know, obviously the spring where they're breeding, and they and they do change a lot. And a lot of times in your big winter flocks, they seem to be pretty docile. They just kind of move around and in like almost like a flock of ducks. They kind of move together, and they'll come out in the field, and they're just kind of in a pattern, you know, and they seem pretty docile and all that. In the springtime when they're breeding, they get, you know, the 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 hens are, like I said earlier, the hens are very uh, territorial towards other hens. They, they you know, um, at least until they start nesting, uh, they don't want other hens coming in and taking their gobblers, and the gobblers are, and, and the big jakes are obviously in competition with each other for breeding. So, uh, yeah, man, there. That's another part of what's fun about it is, uh, it plays into the whole game, you know, uh, playing into their aggressive instincts and the way that the flock interacts with each other and the decisions that you make uh, as a hunter on how to set up and how to call and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that all mm-hmm. plays right into it, and it, it just it's more of the intrigue and more of the excitement of, of the bird you're hunting. So, speaking of calling, that's, um, I mean, that's, pretty much the optimal way to hunt turkeys right i mean you can set up blinds wait for them to come by uh but you know you're you're kind of shooting in the dark there and and you don't get that same excitement but so i mean yeah, am i right in saying calling's kind of the optimal yeah. way to hunt 
Yeah, I mean, if you want the full experience, I mean, I know there are some people that just, you know, they want to get a trophy, Tom, you know, they want to fill a tag and that kind of thing, and maybe they're, uh, you know, physically not able to really walk a lot. I mean, mean, let's just be honest, you know, there's not a lot of small track hunting in turkeys because you can walk a small track of land pretty quickly in the morning trying to set up on a bird or chasing a bird around, you know. Um, So if you, you know, if you're not able physically or you're not into doing a lot of walking or or you got a lot of open country where you can't move around without being seen, you know, you you can do more scouting and kind of figure out how the turkeys are, where when they fly down off the roost, where they're going, and you can kind of set up in those areas and just use your calling to just kind of get them in gun range. You know, the the true, I guess, uh, optimal, to use your word, you know, way that of, of the, the full experience is, you know, you you locate that bird on the roost, he's gobbling, he's trying to, you know, gather his hens, and you try to, you know, set out a plan in motion there to get on him and when he gets on the ground to get yourself in a position where you can fool him in, into coming to you and you interact with him basically the whole time. You're calling to him, he's answering, and you're trying to convince him, no, don't stay out there, or you come over here, you know, those kind of interactions. And, yeah, that, I mean, that's, you want the true experience, that's it. So now, just like calling any other animal, I imagine, you know, turkeys have their own language, right? Yeah, they do, and and it's... uh. It's probably so. I've done everything we mentioned except the wet. I've not done elk hunting, and I, and I know that elk calling is a big thing, uh, and I don't know anything about it, so I'm not going to speak for that. But um, I've done a lot of waterfowl hunting, and, and obviously, um, you know, we have deer calls and stuff like that. Uh, and what I'm familiar with, the turkey has the most, uh, the broadest language. They do a lot, um, even more than ducks, and ducks do a lot. So yeah, they do have their own language, and it and it uh, it changes uh, in the spring. Uh, you know, understanding the way turkeys are communicating in the spring is different from how they communicate in their larger flocks in the winter and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, the gobblers primarily, at least in the spring, primarily they only gobble. You know, they they can and they will yelp and cluck and and stuff like that. And then of course your hens. The hens make all kind of noise. They cut, they cackle, they yelp, they purr, you know, they, they whine. and whine. There's lots of sounds that most turkey hunters don't even make because they don't know how to make them on the calls <laughs> or, you know, it's just not a common uh, sound and, and not that it's necessary. But, I mean, a hen, if you listen to uh, a group of hens in the springtime communicating with a gobbler and communicating with each other, you know, if you just sit quietly at daylight and listen to them in the tree and listen to them on the ground, they make... I mean, you know, alien-like noises, you know, the whining and whimpering and purring and, you know, the stuff that they do. And, it and you know, a lot of that is where you go from your traditional, you know, most people are going to yelp, they're going to cluck, you know, they're going to cackle like a turkey that's flying down out of the tree or a turkey that's flying over a fence or something like that. You know, those are your typical calls, and those are the louder calls and the demonstrative ones that you hear. But, you know, if you're trying to mimic a couple of hens that this gobbler wants to you know, strut and breed with, you know, when they're sitting around scratching around doing their thing, they're constantly purring and these little whinnies and whines and stuff like that. And so they're, I mean, they're a bird. And if you listen to songbirds or any other kind of bird, birds can make a lot of noises and turkeys the same way. So I am going to put you on the spot here. Do you, uh, do you have any, any of your calls on you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can step out to my, step into my office. 
There we go. We can try this. It doesn't often sound great over the phone, but, I mean, we can do a few things. We'll I'll see try what to happens. Do it. Here we go. So we'll, we'll try to do it where it's not right up in the phone. All right, so as you're grabbing your calls, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from one of my partners. All right, y'all, we all know there's folks out there who are successful year after year rocking a set of bargain bin Walmart camo. However, a full layering system of premium hunting clothes can make a huge impact on your comfort level when you're spending time deep in the backcountry and can really be the difference between going longer and harder or just going home. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I personally can't afford to drop three grand or even more on a full set of premium hunting gear. Now, that's why I'm excited to tell y'all about Scree gear. Not only is Scree as capable and durable as any of the other premium lines out there, it also comes in at a price point that won't leave you too broke to put in for tags. Scree's patterns use the science behind perception and fractal concealment and have been designed by one of the foremost concealment experts out there. He's designed for militaries, law enforcement, and special forces in the U.S. and around the world. Not only are their patterns incredibly versatile for any sort of terrain, but their layering systems allow you to pack a minimal amount of gear for maximum effect. So whether you're side-hilling across rocky debris in the baking desert sun or crawling over snow-covered deadfall high up in the frozen Rockies, Scree's versatile layering system has you covered. Literally. And if that's not enough, for that added layer of confidence, Scree offers an outfitter and military discount, a limited lifetime warranty on all their gear, and free returns on new gear until you find the perfect fit. Even better, you can get 10% off all orders from the Scree store by using code COUNTRY10. Check out that Scree discount along with discounts from other awesome outdoor companies by visiting my partners page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash partners. Alright, we are back. Locke has gotten his call ready. We made sure it doesn't sound too awful on the phone. So, uh, all right. So we're talking about uh, the different types of sound. Uh, we're talking about the different types of sounds that uh, turkeys make. Let's maybe start uh, with some of the basics that that you might hear uh, here during your spring turkey season. Okay. So um, I am in an enclosed room. And, you know, so just if there's any distortion, just, you know, the sound's going to be a little bit off. But like you said, we're just going to try to hit the basic, the rhythm and what you're looking at uh, with that. So try if it If it sounds a little bit distorted, just this ain't the optimal way to, to <laughs> record sound. Um, you know, so a, a yelp is, is usually a three or five note, just basic communication. It would go something like, and it's a, you know, it's a two-tone note that a turkey makes. You can imagine their their mouth opening and closing. You know, it starts high. You know, an older, a younger turkey will be more high-pitched. Uh, a lot of times an older hen will have more rasp, which is more of your uh, lower um, kind of broken notes. And, you know, they use the yelp in a lot of different ways. When a turkey's in a tree, and a tree yelp is real soft, just kind of a, Imagine somebody just kind of sitting up in bed drinking a cup of coffee and just kind of, you know, talking about, you know, whatever. And, and you know, you know. but when they're trying to talk to each other, you know, the, the, just a basic yelp and basic communication is like three or five. So like, or maybe a longer would be a. And so they'll use that call. That's, that's the yelp. That's the primary. And they'll use that in a lot of ways. Um. A hen, kind of your boss hen in the flock, she'll do, um, you know, and when she's trying to gather the flock, she may walk through the woods and yelp for a long time. You know, she may um, you know, string out 20 yelps, you know. They may, 
uh, speed it up, slow it down based on excitement. So the Yelp is the typical. I mean, the other, you got clucks, and um, that's just kind of a basic communicator. They'll cluck all the time, honestly. They'll cluck. They'll Yelp. They'll go. You know, they'll cluck in between Yelps, and a lot of times they'll just walk through the woods and just cluck. Just. That's just a basic turkey language. And the same thing as a Yelp, they'll use the clucks in a lot of ways. They'll cluck sporadically, they'll cluck excited, and they'll communicate with that. And they'll break that up and um, into multiple uses. They'll use it with a purr. A purr is a content call. Uh, a purr is often heard when turkeys are feeding. So when a hen or a group of hens are, you know, they're scratching in the leaves, they'll purr. So it's like a... And it sounds better on a mouth call than it does on a friction, but um, it works. If you hear a turkey purring, they're content. They're not startled. Um, they'll never purr if they're alert. The purring is always a flock call where they're just content and just kind of... And that's where they throw in a lot of those crazy sounds. They're hard to make on a friction call. Um, easier to do on a mouth call. Kind of like a, a... So really quick, really quick, just to, just to clarify, you're using... Uh, the kind of call you're using right now. This is a pot call. Uh, a lot of people commonly refer to it as a slate call because the traditional Indians would put a piece of slate rock in their hand or situated in a wooden uh, pot type, and they would scratch on it with a stick. You know, and people that look turkey calls, you're you know you're uh, you're wooden or sometimes they're plastic, whatever, and so it's got a calling surface. This one is actually a ceramic calling surface, and it has fountain board underneath it sitting in a pot, and then you have what was called a striker, like a stick. So you're basically creating friction on top of that surface. So that's what I'm using. Uh, probably the oldest. It is the oldest. It's the original call that the Native Americans used, you know, to call turkeys. They would get a piece of flat slate rock and another rock or a stick or some other hard striker, and they would create friction on top of that, that surface to create these clucks and yelps and stuff. So that's what I'm using. So, um, you know, we're talking about the purrs and, and the clucks, and so they'll they'll do that. When they purr, they'll, you know, they may... That kind of stuff. And then they'll also cluck when they cackle. Cackle is just an excited cluck. Like when a, when he pit, uh, if a turkey pitches up over a ditch or a creek or over a over a fence or flies down off the roost, you know, they'll cackle, and so it's like a... You know, something like that. So they're just, basically, it's just an excited cluck. That's your basic communication. You know, the, the only other really thing that you're likely to hear that you don't want to hear in the woods is what's called, like, a putt. And it's more of a... It's kind of hard to... I can do it on... Maybe I can do it on this mouth call. So it's more like a... And if they do that, they're about to leave. They've seen something, they throw their head up, and it's a real hard pop kind of type of cluck. And that means I don't know what's up, but something's up. It's kind of a warning call. Um, 
that's your that's your basic language. I mean, of course, everybody knows what a gobble sounds like, but uh, finding how they use those basic notes and those basic pieces of language is uh, how you identify the language. So then, as a turkey hunter going into the woods, how would I how would I use these calls to uh, draw in a tom? Okay, right, so let's go through. All right, so how about this? This will be kind of a fun little experiment. We'll go through a basic hunt scenario from start to finish. Okay, this will be a real typical, you're, you know, lucky you, you just found the right bird type thing. You know, uh, easy, easy hunt. So, um, turkey starts gobbling at daylight right before daylight. Uh, let's just assume we're in the right part of the season and he's ready to gobble and he's ready to breed and you've found yourself on the right piece of property at the right time. Okay, so the idea is he's gobbling in order to say, hey, here I am, all you hens, y'all fly down and come over here and let's do our thing, you know. So uh, if they're really hot, they'll start gobbling on their own, but but they'll gobble at sounds, and that's called a shot gobble. They're just, you know, so like a hoot owl, like a, I mean, everybody knows what a hoot owl sounds like, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, a hoot owl busts out. Turkey can't help it. I mean, you can blow a car horn. He can't help it. Just pop, <laughs> you know, he gobbles. So, because, uh, you know, it's just that time of the year. Um, me, personally, and my advice as a hunter, uh, if you've got to wait till it starts breaking daylight and start yelping to get a turkey to gobble, you can gauge interest level there. If he's not gobbling on his own, he's not that fired up, and you're already kind of behind the eight ball of catching his interest. You know what I'm saying? Um so what you want is you want a, 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 a crow to start, you know, flying over right at daylight or a hoot owl to start, and you want to gobble him to gobble, and you want to locate him. And what you want to try to do is know your area, know the woods you're hunting in, and, and have some idea, hopefully, of what's going on here from a woodsmanship perspective so that while it's still dark, because a turkey can't see in the dark like, like uh, other animals, you want to be able to get close as close to the right area and physically close to him while he's still up in the tree so that you can, you know, start to convince him, hey, I'm a hen, you're gobbling, I'm here, fly down, you know, come to me type thing. So uh, maybe, you know, he's out in the woods and you're on the edge of a of a field and you want to say, hey, fly down, come over here to this field type thing. So what you want to do is you want to locate that turkey. You, maybe you walk out in the woods and you blow a hoot owl call or, or you know, preferably – um, I'm going to wait on that. I'm going to try to give it as long as I can and let him gobble on his own. I don't want to make one single sound, no matter how good I am at blowing an alcohol. I don't want to have to make a sound if he's going to let me know where he's at on his own. You know, that makes sense, right? I mean, uh, you know, we can all be as good as we want to be as callers, but we're still manufacturing a sound. It's still not natural. And uh, any 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 game animal you're hunting can get wise to you in different situations. So we're going to locate the bird first. Uh, hopefully he's hot and he's ready to gobble and he starts gobbling on his own and I don't have to call to him uh, until I'm set up. But let's just say I do, and so I blow a hoo owl call and he, he gobbles. And now he's excited and he's starting to gobble with other sounds. So I'm going to try to get, based on woodsmanship here, I'm going to try to get in a likely scenario. I don't want to get below him. He's, he is, again, we talked about the nature of a turkey. He wants to show out and gobble and strut. He wants to attract. So if he's on an elevated position, what's he going to do? He's going to stay on the elevated position and say, I ain't coming down there. You know, this is a battle. This is a war, right? I'm not coming up there and, you know, and, and putting myself 
or coming down there and coming down the hill, um, you're going to come to me, and I can see you coming. So you want to get uh, above him or on level with him. You don't want to get on the other side of a fence. You don't want to get on the other side of a creek. You, you don't want to have a physical barrier between you and him. And then, obviously, you want to use your scouting and, and whatever intel you have to be in a position where you know the turkeys like to go. Maybe they fly down and they go out in a field and they catch grasshoppers and they dust their wings. Maybe that's just their normal pattern. You do want to try to get in a position where you know that this is uh, you know, a likely area that the turkeys naturally move towards when they fly down off the roof. So you're going to find that spot, right? Okay, whatever that spot is, an open ridge, edge of a field, whatever. Um, you know, then... The next thing is, is, is kind of hard to figure, but if you can hear hens, most of the time, the turkey, is he knows where his hens are. He's not going to fly up with them. If you're hunting in uh, out west or in Texas where there's not a lot of trees, they may roost together because of lack of roost trees. But if you're hunting in the south or the east or anywhere where there's a lot of timber, the gobblers are not going to fly up in the same tree as the hens. He's probably going to be close to them, like, you know, sometimes 50 yards, maybe 100, 200 yards but he's not going to fly up with them in the same tree. So if you can get in there dark enough to get between him and his hens, we've talked enough now, you can imagine, right, what that's doing. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 in the, you know, you're between him and, and his hens, you're in a good spot, right? So you want to try to accomplish that. A lot of times you, you won't because you won't even hear the hens. You won't even know what tree they're in. So you just got to use woodsmanship. So I'm going to sit down at that point, and um, I, I'm just going to start soft calling and get him interested. So... You know, we talked about the tree yelps, the little clucks. I just want to mimic. I'm, I'm just a hen, and I'm just kind of playing hard to get with you, buddy. I'm letting you know I'm here. Um, I might cut and yelp aggressively at other hens to try to create that kind of communication and let him know that, hey, I'm real, and I'm here, and I'm competing for breeding rights and that kind of stuff. But a big mistake that people make is they he starts gobbling at them, they get excited, and they start calling a whole lot because they want him to answer. And it's exciting, man. When you buddy, just like, a, I'm, I'm sure with an elk, you you know, you call to an elk and he bugles at you. That's exciting, right? I mean, that's part of the reason I'm out here. I want, you know, that's, that's success in and of itself, right? So, uh, but that can be counterproductive in turkey hunting because now you're playing into his natural instincts. You, so, so what's happening, right? He's gobbling. Hey, she's answering me. She's coming. She's coming to me. You know, every time I gobble, she answers. You know, so you want to play hard to get. And, uh, you know, from there, man, we can go a lot of different ways. You know, hopefully what happens there is you've set the table. You can pick your spots where, um, you know, hopefully there's not another hen close by and he's kind of lonely and he just, like, you're the only one. He comes right to you. That's, that's the kind of hunt everybody's looking for. But uh, if there are other hens in the area, you may end up yelping back and forth with them and uh, you may lose. He may go to them. They may go to him and take him off. But uh, you're just trying to be a part of the flock. And, you, you know, you just got to hunt and you got to have experiences that tell you when to get aggressive, you know, when to try to turn him around and, uh, you know, just really hammer on him and get him to come your way and when to lay off and not get him because he'll hang up. Like I said, if you call too much, he'll just sit out there and gobble and go, look, I hear you. Why aren't you coming over here? You know, that kind of thing. So um, that's – does that answer your question? That's kind of the – that's kind of the 101 of what a morning – a successful morning where you're able to locate a bird and set up on him. That's what it's going to be like, and those decisions that you make will, uh, you know, have the biggest effect on your success or failure. And, you know, truthfully, one of the things that makes a terrible turkey hunter is a lonely two-year-old Tom because 
some bigger turkey has got all the hens, and he's out roaming around looking for a hen that he can breed. And it gets dark, and he flies up in this big oak tree. And there's not a hen around, but guess who's there the next morning? You, right? <laughs> and it gets daylight, and he's gobbling his head off because he's like, man, I was walking around looking for a hen all day yesterday, and I'm in this beautiful spot in this big, beautiful oak tree, and I'm just going to start gobbling. And then, lo and behold, God gifted him with this guy over here. He's got a box call, yelping at him, and it sounds so sweet. And you sit down pretty much anywhere, and that sucker hits the ground and runs up there, full-fledged man he's excited dude he just picked the right spot and he gets shot in the head you know (laughs) that makes a bad turkey hunter because you can't really do any wrong you know in that situation i mean he's you know it's it's it there's not enough mornings like that because it's just so awesome but at the same time it doesn't teach you a whole lot because typically you know you got to deal with the hens or other gobblers or jakes and those those dynamics within the flock um there's not a lot of direct answers I can give you. Um, it's you kind of got to feel it out. Um, it's you know how you communicate with the flock and how you blend in, and then using your woodsmanship. Like I said, knowing the property where you're hunting enough about it, using studying topo maps and stuff like that, and understanding that hey, when he's gobbling at daylight, he's elevated and he sounds a lot different. But I know that where he's probably going to fly down is here, and when he does that, he's on the other side of a ditch. I can't, you know, i got to get over there before it gets daylight while I can still move around because he's not going to cross a ditch. You know, and he's not. He'll cross a ditch on his own, but he's not going to cross a ditch if you're calling to him because that instinct comes in. Uh, I say he's not. He's probably not. We're playing statistics here. Obviously, there's an exception to every rule. But, you know, a turkey will walk up and down a barbed wire fence that he calls under every single day of his life. He goes under that fence to go over here and feed every day. But if you're calling to him, he's just going to strut back and forth up and down that fence because that's what his instincts tell him to do. That's how he's safe. I'm, hey, look, here I am. Where are you at? You mm-hmm. know? So uh, that's what you're going to experience on, on, a, on a morning, and that's your basic calls. And the best thing to do, Sam, is to listen to hens because they're, you know, ultimately – they're trying to do the same thing you're trying to do. They're trying to get him. So, uh, you know, in the springtime. So, you listen to how they communicate with each other and how they communicate with him and you can learn a whole lot. And it doesn't matter how good of a caller you are. Because if you sit in the woods, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in the woods and listened to a hen yelp and I thought whoever that is over there needs to learn how to use that turkey call. And then all of a sudden <laughs> here comes a hen walking up just squawking and it sounds terrible. It sounds just like you know, that, that that obnoxious kid in Bass Pro that got the demo call off the shelf and it's just his parents don't know how to tell him when to put it down. You know, it sounds just <laughs> like that, but lo and behold, I'm looking at it. You know, it's a, it's an actual hen. So the turkey language, and like you said about the sounds, the turkeys are so uh, different and they're so diverse. And, you know, you go into a calling contest, you know, there is this premium sound that that judge is looking for, and there's this premium sound that we're trying to achieve as callers that sounds like that beautiful, perfect hymn, but they don't all sound that way. It's more about making the right calls at the right times, having the right rhythm, and being realistic more than it is a perfect two-tone yelp or a perfect, uh, you know, a perfect cut or not making a mistake. Man, a turkey walks through the woods and makes all kind of stupid sounds, like I said. You know, so if you scratch a little bit on the surface of your friction call in between yelps, you ain't hurting nothing. If you sit there and listen, the hens do that while they're feeding. It sounds like a turkey, man. Mm-hmm. You know, so listening to hens and listening to how they talk to each other, that's how I learned a turkey hunt. Um, 
I, my, you know, we talked about, you asked, like, kind of my history. My dad did not actually turkey hunt. Uh, the first turkey hunt my dad ever went on was I was in college, and I took him. But we had a large property and a lot of turkeys. And when I was a kid, when I was old enough to go out by myself, he loved to go to the camp and cook and hang out and stuff, you know. So we would go to the camp, and he'd turn me loose and let me hunt, but he didn't turkey hunt. So I learned to turkey hunt as a 12-, 13-year-old kid making 150 mistakes every hunt I went on. And I finally learned to slow down and listen to the turkeys, and I learned to correct things that I did wrong and and that kind of thing. So, uh, And then, of course, learned from adults that I ended up hunting with. But, that's man, that's really what it's about because – um, I think a lot of people, they get caught up in this, well, man, why don't you come call up a turkey for me? I can't use that call like you. Well, man, you don't have to have a beautiful five-note uh, high score in Yelp. You just got to use the Yelp at the right time in the right situation. It doesn't have to sound perfect. It's just got to be at the right time. Um, and so, you know, you learn those things. And uh, like I said, the best thing to happen to you is to have a couple easy hunts and get your feet wet. But what's going to benefit you the most if you're a new turkey hunter is getting beat. You get beat by a bunch of hens. Let that happen to you a lot, and you'll learn a whole lot because you'll hear those hens, and they'll outcall you. They'll literally outcall you. You'll be calling, that turkey will be gobbling to you, and that hen over there, she won't be calling very much, but he'll fly down and go straight to her, you know, and and you'll learn a lot of lessons that way. So you uh, you mentioned something in it. Uh, you talked about shooting shooting them in the head, and that actually brought up a, a thought for me. Uh, talking about a little bit about the different uh, the different, I guess, for lack of a better term, weapons you can use for uh, turkey hunting as, yeah. and and shot placement related to those. Okay, so basically, shotgun or bow, right? Um, it's not. I I would. Don't let me lie to you, but I'm pretty confident that it's not legal to use a rifle any state spring turkey hunting. It might be legal to shoot one in the fall season, but uh, spring turkey, it's a shotgun, and it's uh, nothing larger than a number two, so it's basically got to be a scatter shot type of shell, and of course they make the turkey shells that are loaded hotter with more powder and more pellets. So you're looking for something like a number four, number five, maybe as small as a number six uh, shotgun. And, you know, with a shotgun, you're, you know, it sounds, well, however it sounds, but you're shooting them in the head. You know, it's, it's uh, if you look at a, a gobbler, um, I guess the, the real telltale identification is the big red wattles on his neck. And uh, they get more red the more he gobbles because there's blood flowing to his head. And so what you want to do is you want to aim right where those red wattles meet the feathers. So you're basically shooting him in the neck and the head, and uh, it's pretty much instant death at that point. So uh, he's got a lot of feathers, and if he's fluffed up, you'd be surprised how much they can absorb. So you're looking for a headshot. And then with a bow, there's a lot of different angles, but the, the thing about a bow is when you undress that turkey from all of his feathers, he's not that big, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> he he's not that big so from a lot of different angles you're trying to get the largest most uh i guess kinetic impact on the body as you can i know that it's a big uh thing you see a lot of these videos these people shooting these big guillotine broadheads and they're shooting the turkeys in the head basically cutting their head off with these big you know five six inch guillotine broadheads 
those things don't fly very well. So you got to have, you know, you got to be in a blind and have the turkey like five, five to fifteen yards, really. Um, if you're shooting him with a more standard archery equipment, not these specialized broadheads, you're looking for something really big, like a two-inch rage or some really big um, expandable head. And you know, you're looking to set your archery equipment up where it where it really delivers a thump because a turkey that is very mortally wounded can get up and fly and there's not a blood trail. So archery, you know, I know it's a challenge and there's archery turkey seasons. I don't do a lot of archery hunting myself because uh, I just enjoy the shotgun. I enjoy calling them up close. Um, I enjoy hunting that way. But archery is a common form and a lot of people do it. And, um, you know, like I said, it's just you gotta you got to study the bird and you got to study the shot angles of how you're going to put that arrow right through the middle of his body because he's not very big, and you can shoot him in what looks like a great spot, and it basically just cut through feathers and skin, and and he's gone, you know. So uh, you're looking to shoot him like kind of not really in the breast, but kind of right below the beard if he's facing you, um, right basically up the butt from behind. <laughs> Where you can, I mean, that's, that's little fantastic. Texas heart shot action. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. I don't really know a better way to say that, but you're just looking for a, you, you know, you imagine this 3D image of you take away all the feathers and you're looking at a butterball. So you're looking at how you can, you know, get that arrow through the middle of his body because when he's strutting, you know, all of that that's hanging down in the front is all feathers. It looks like a big old breast, but it's really not. His breast is up there by his beard. And it's not very big, you know, it's maybe the size of a basketball. You know, so you can, a strutting turkey, you can shoot through a lot of feathers and never touch any any uh, flesh at all. So uh, those are your two weapons. You know, if you want my advice, you, you just <laughs> get you a 12-gauge, get you a full, turkey, a full choke and some uh, turkey, actual turkey shotgun shells, turkey loads of just a, uh, every brand makes them and then they got these really hot ones. You know, stick you a, 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 a piece of paper out there at 40 yards and, you know, pattern it. Find a shell that your gun shoots well and you can get the most pellets in an area the size of a plain piece of paper and put it on his waddles and shoot him in the head and it's over with. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> do, it the, do it the simple way. Start out the simple way for sure. <laughs> hey, man, there's something exciting about it, man. Oh, no, I, there absolutely I'm just is. Not, I'm not going to be – I'm going to be – I'll be, I guess, just as blunt and guy talk as I can. There, you know, shooting a turkey with a bow can be kind of anticlimactic. It really can because the turkey, um, it's not the kind of impact that you get um, with a big game, and he usually flops around and flies off and does all that kind of stuff. But, dude, there's just something about shooting him in the head <laughs> with a shotgun at 25 <laughs> yards. It's just exciting. I mean, it just, it's just something about it. It's just that instant gratification. Oh, know. yeah. It's kind of where my mind is on it. I'm a big turkey hunter, and I've shot him with a bow, but uh, I just prefer. And I'm a big bow hunter, man, so with that being said, I don't, I don't, I don't firearm hunt, you know, for big game at all. I bow hunt, you know, for, for deer. That's all I do is bow hunt. But when it comes to turkeys, man, the shotgun is where it's at for me. So we've talked a little. We've talked about the weapons. We've talked a little bit about uh, the call types. Um, you got you got the pot calls or the the slate calls, and you got the mouth calls, which are are 
similar to like an uh, diaphragm elk call, which actually I think is yes. where the the diaphragm elk calls may have originated. I mean, I'm sure somebody will. Well, it's it's me. the exact same thing. It's just you know you got different the uh, the reeds. It's the exact same thing as a diaphragm elk call. It's just the reconfiguration and the stretches and maybe the thickness of the latex or prophylactic or whatever material that's being stretched across the frame. It's different stretches to achieve different notes and sounds, but it's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know a lot about elk calls, but I'm guessing that it's probably a thin reed and it stretched really tight so that it's really high-pitched and, uh, you know, gives you that the, the, the cow elk sound. You know, with a turkey call, you're, you know, you get a lot of configurations. You get as many as three reeds, and you get different cuts in the reeds that help you get those different notes where, you know, like we talked about, the two-tone where you, you know, kind of start high and, it, and then you get the, the rasp in there and, you know, all those different things in the mouth call read, how tight it's stretched, uh, how thick the material is and the kind of cuts that are in the reeds. That's how all that's achieved, but they're the same thing. For your listeners that are Western hunters and, 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 and do, if you can blow an elk call, you can blow a turkey call. I mean, it's the same thing. So what other, what other gear would you say is, is essential for the turkey hunter? Well, um, you know, as far as the calls go, you know, we've talked about that, and you you just kind of got to get what's good for you. You know, you've got the box calls and other type of frictions, and then you got your locator calls, coyote howler, owl hooter, crow call, those kind of things that you can blow and try to, you know, make a loud noise and, and locate a bird. So you want to, you know, as far as that goes, gear. Uh, the other thing, and I think everybody knows this, uh, turkeys can see. That's their thing, you know, their eyesight. So camouflage is a big deal. You've got to be, you know, you, you're not going to get away with um, things that you might get away with, you know, behind a rifle at 100 yards or, or 20 foot up in a tree stand. You know, you're going to be ground level, so you've got to be camouflaged head to toe. So you're looking for good gear that, that blends in, and they're not colorblind, and there are any of these other things that you hear about deer. I mean, a turkey can see, and they can see very well. So you're looking for good patterns good spring patterns with green or whatever matches the landscape you're in um and you know so gloves face mask headgear um i hear that they can actually see you like blink from 30 yards or something 30 40 yards away yes no they say that a biologist told me one time again this is probably an analogy type talk but uh, i mean he said it literally a turkey can see a tick crawling up the side of a tree at 50 yards through the woods. Jeez. I mean, I I guess if that's what they're eating, you know, if they're looking for bugs and stuff, they got to have that eyesight. Yeah, they can see that well. So, um, yeah, I mean, camouflage is a big deal. Um, so, you, you know, when you break that down, the other thing is um, – Camo in the turkey woods, like I said, there are places, I mean, maybe you have a smaller piece of property and you don't move around a lot and you kind of set up in certain areas and and work the birds from just certain areas. And then, you know, if you're in a blind or whatever, you can probably uh, be a little looser. But generally speaking, if you come hunting with me, you know, we're going to work at it. We're going to move around. We're going to really work the bird and chase the bird. And, you know, maybe we kill him in the first set, but, you know, so a lot like uh, I would guess a lot of the backpacking, you need good gear because you need gear that is warm when you're sitting on a cool morning working a bird, but is also performs when you're up walking and chasing a bird. And and uh, so aside from a good camouflage pattern, you need good gear that's dependable. 
and reliable and performs because you're going to probably be crawling around, climbing up and down. You know, you're going to be putting the gear to the test in that. So you want that. You want really good boots because, you know, we just talked about the walking. So um, you're going to want good boots. Most people are going to wear knee-high boots or snake boots because it is springtime. Um, so uh, outside of that, you know, um, you see turkey vests. I'm sure everybody that spends much time looking at outdoor gear has seen turkey vests. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't use a turkey vest myself because I, I just like to be lightweight. I kind of just carry a little English man purse thrown over <laughs> my shoulder with my stuff in it, uh, and a, and a little cushion that I sit on. But with that being said, they got the little lounger chairs and different types of cushions. You know, again, the turkey can see really well and you may be sitting on the ground against a tree or against a log or something. You have, may be having to sit really, really still for a an extended period of time so you know you do want to have some sort of system whatever fits you whether it's a turkey vest with the flop down you know uh flip down seat cushion or or one of these little strutter seats that sit up against the tree. wait wait Something wait hold on a second on. here hold on a second here are you telling me they make vests for turkey hunting that have an an ass pad that you can flip down and sit on you're telling me you've never seen one of these? I have, this is the greatest. I've never even heard of something like this. Dude. Okay, so when we get off the phone uh, or off this podcast, I am literally going to go out there and take a picture of one in my hunting room and send it to you. Oh but, yeah, my it's gosh. a vest. And it's got like a – so have you seen like the small game vests that have like the back compartment where you can put your squirrels or your birds or you know, or your, you know what I'm talking about? Dude, I have not seen any of this. This is a whole new world okay. for me. All right, so it's just a, it's just a vest that's got a lot of compartments because yeah. turkey hunter's got a lot of stuff, right? You got your bug spray and all your calls and your shotgun shells and your gloves and your face, you know, all this stuff. I mean, just imagine any kind of tactical style vest that's just built with a lot of pockets but still trying to be lightweight, you know. So on the back of it, you know, it's going to have a large compartment. Your whole back is going to be kind of like a slip-in large compartment where you can stick decoys and you could actually stick the whole bird down in there and carry it out if you're packing it out. Um, but it's going to have a big cushion, yeah, that's got a, uh, either so – they're making a lot of them with these magnetics, uh, magne- magnetic clips where they kind of flip up and attach to your back, and then mm-hmm. some of them will have just little um, clasp-type clips, and you just – yeah, I mean, you get on a bird, you just flip the seat down and sit down on it, and then, so you're sitting there wearing a vest with all the pockets and your butt pads attached to your back and it flips down and you sit down. And some of them have kickstands where you can sit oh up in the middle of a gosh. bush and lean back against the vest. Yeah, dude, they they got wild. They got a lot of wild stuff. And this it, is blowing my mind right now. Blowing my mind. <laughs> you just need to go to go to Cabela's or BassPro.com and just look up turkey vest. Just type in turkey vest. They'll have a hundred of them. And, and you can get them as simple as just a basic small game upland, upland, style vest with a with a cushion that attaches to the back all the way to a very fancy you know vest that's got the kickstand thing where you can sit up in a bush and have a and lean back against the vest they got all that i want one of these for predator hunting like no it well, honestly that they they, they 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 have they have started to market them that way exactly what you're thinking is exactly right I they have started one. to market a lot of these vests kind of as dual role turkey spring turkey predator because it's the exact same thing. You're you're sneaking up to wherever you're predator hunting, and you find a setup, and you need to be able to sit down and get set up and start calling. And you know maybe you don't have the perfect tree or log to get up against. You get up in a bush, and you know everything's right there, easy to carry that kind of thing. Um, 
This is blowing my mind, man. You've you've changed my 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 world here with this this turkey vest thing. Well, it, <laughs> it's uh. So here's my opinion of it, man. And again, everybody is different, and most people I hunt with have a turkey vest. Most of them have a very expensive vest, and the more features that you have on a vest, the heavier it is, right? I mean, that's inevitable. It's the more crap that you pack with you on any kind of hunt, the heavier it gets. No matter how expensive and lightweight it's supposed to be, um, the simple amount of it, it, it creates weight. And I don't like that myself. And a lot of that's because I'm usually carrying camera equipment because I'm always, you know, doing the media production stuff. So myself, I don't do that. But you do, it is essential. And you ask, like, what should people be thinking about? They, you've got to think about that because... Um, it's that's that's what it's about. If you're not going to a blind where you're already set up and you're going to get in there and sit in a chair of some kind, if you're going to just go out in the woods and say, hey, when the turkey gobbles, I'm going to go find somewhere to set up and hunt him, you've you got to sit down and you got to sit still. And, and that turkey might be just out of gun range for 30 minutes strutting and gobbling. And if you move one one bit, he's gone. And, and if your foot falls asleep or your, you know, your butt falls asleep and, you're, and you, and you ha- end up having to move or something... It blows your hunt. So you you, you got to think about it. you got to have some kind of vest where you can carry and be mobile but also be able to sit and be comfortable and be on the ground. Um, so those are, it's from a gear perspective, you got to research that. Like I said, they make these little strutter seats, little like one-inch legs and a little mesh seat, and you just kind of sit them up against a tree and you just sit your butt on them. And I like being a little bit elevated off the ground, that angle, my legs. I played baseball for a long time, so my knees and my ankles hurt all the time. And um, that works better for me. Plus, I don't have to wear the vest that's hot and heavy. So that's what I do. Um, and they make lots of those little chairs like that. So you need to look into something. I mean, worst case scenario, just get you a butt pad and tie a little string to it and throw it over your shoulder so you can sit it on the ground and sit on it. Yeah. It, it, in yeah. the least, you need to do that. Um, uh, it's, other than that, you know, it's just, just your weapon and then decoys. And uh, decoys are kind of a hot topic. There's actually, I don't know about every state. I'm not going to make a proclamation here because I don't know the laws of every state. Some some states used to not allow decoys. Um, most states do at this point, I'm pretty sure. Um, the strategy behind that is a lot of things. Um, I think that if you go into it thinking that your decoy is going to kill the turkey, that's probably, it might happen. It might work from time to time, but... For me, I use the decoys more strategically. A lot of times I want to use the decoy to get the turkey the last, you know, the last however many yards. I also want to get him in position for the camera or in position where I got more freedom and he's not looking right at me, you know. Um, in other words, I call this turkey around the bend in a road or I call him up into a field and he get, he locks on to the decoy. He's looking away from me. He's not looking at me, right? So, um uh, uh, you know, I know we're talking about gear, but a little strategic comment there. Always think about if turkey's gobbling out in front of you, and you're like, "Oh, I found him," you know, and you're excited. You run out there in the open, and you stick your decoy, and you walk right back behind it, and you sit down. And what happens? The turkey comes straight to you, and he's looking right at you as he walks towards the decoy. And then it really doesn't matter if you move or not. But if he can see a tick at 50 yards on a tree, you're going to do something that he sees, right? <laughs> and he's looking right to the decoy at you. So. Decoys are a big part of turkey hunting. Some people like the challenge of not using a decoy. Um, I use them. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll use Jake and Gobbler decoys to, you know, create. It just depends on the time of the spring and where I'm hunting, but decoys are a gear. I would say you need to at least have a hen decoy 
to use in different situations, so you need to look into decoys. But um, other than that, man, bottle of water, you know. I mean, <laughs> turkey hunting is a – that's one of the things that's so cool about it, man. It's you, your weapon, your calls, and your instincts and your woodsmanship. You know, there's not – you know, you don't really want to use an ATV. If you go driving in somewhere on a, with a loud four-wheeler, you know, right before daylight uh, or side-by-side side or something, that, that's really not good. I mean, you know, turkeys are pretty skittish animals. Um, so, you know, your boots, your camo, your gear, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a rustic hunt if you do it the way I do it. And so, you know, you don't have the tree stands and you don't have a, you know, uh, you really don't even have to have a lot for optics. I carry binoculars because I just binoculars are you know a big part of everything i do in the woods because i want to be able to observe and take advantage of what quality binoculars offer you as a hunter in every hunt but you don't have to have them i mean if you're hunting with a bow or a shotgun you're going to shoot the turkey in 30 yards you don't have to have them you know um Mm -hmm. in that regard he's probably going to be gobbling or he's going to be you're going to see him um uh so you know that that that's that's your real basics, but I guess it's like everything else in the hunting industry, Sam. I mean, they if you can think of it, they sell it, and you can find <laughs> it, and somebody will sell it to you. You know, there's there's lots of gimmicks. There's lots of good stuff that some people prefer. I'm 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 not a minimalist uh, by nature, but I am pretty much a minimalist in turkey hunt. I've become a minimalist. I've went through every phase. I've you know I I guess yeah when I was younger. And I was learning the hunt. I was a teenager in college and stuff. I, you know, you're supposed to have a turkey vest. Everybody has a turkey vest. You're supposed to take 100 calls. You know, I don't really do so much of that anymore. I, I've got a couple of different calls because I want to be able to change up the sounds, and they're the ones that I rely on. And I, I'm kind of minimalist, but uh, there's a lot of products. But, you know, the calls, the weapon, and the gear, um, that's your essentials. So we talked. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the camo and the layering system. Um, you are actually doing some work. Speaking of camo, you like that? You like that transition here? Um, you are yeah, doing very, some work like done with uh, Scree Gear. Yeah. So <laughs> I am. I work. I know you've done several podcasts with different people associated with Scree, including the owner, and you wear Scree yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people that don't know, Scree is a performance-based layering system uh, with a couple of different proprietary camouflage patterns. Um, you know, uh, it's a uh, performance-based type of hunting apparel that's designed to um, more athletic cut and designed to keep you warm and also keep you dry. And you know, it's kind of designed designed to be able to, to take you from every um, <clears throat> every season, every hunt and do it in a um, a layering system and, and debulk you and keep you lighter weight but still be able to keep you warm and breathable. And, you know, we're using the merino wool and the Teflon-coated poly and all the stuff that, that most of your performance uh, apparel lines are doing. We're the same thing, but we're direct to consumer, so our prices are a little bit more responsible because we don't have the middleman. So that's kind of who we are, um, you know, but uh, for this conversation... Um, I do a series called the Progression Series. I started that last year uh, or in the fall, so we got some whitetail stuff, and you can find that on ScreeGear.com. And uh, there'll be some turkey stuff that I did last year in Texas and uh, Kansas and Mississippi. Uh, I've got some content, some video content coming out from last season in those three states. Uh, But last year, right prior to spring turkey season, Scree released their new Summit pattern. And uh, if you've seen the Scree gear, 
if you haven't, please, you know, go check it out. But if you haven't seen it, um, or if you have seen it, the original Mountain Stealth was more of a um, a refractive type of refractive, meaning more digital, and it was kind of gray, and it was kind of meant for timber uh, mountain, uh, considered Mountain Stealth. And um, the new camouflage pattern is a lot more uh, green. It's got a lot more light colors. It's got a lot more contrast to it, and it is awesome for spring turkey. I am kind of the turkey ambassador for Scree right now. Um, they didn't have a lot of that going on, but I immediately saw this pattern, and I'm like, guys, this is going to play awesome in the spring turkey woods, and it did. Everywhere from Texas to the Midwest to the South that I turkey hunted, it was phenomenal. And so um, the progression series, we're going to do a lot of spring turkey content, and I was sharing this with you, and I know before we started recording, and I know you know because you wear the gear, the gear was designed out west for the backpacker and the mountain hunter, and so much of that translates to spring turkey because you, you're mobile. You're, you're walking, you're climbing, you're crawling, you know, you're, you're spotting, stalking in a lot of cases, and so this gear is very durable. It has warranties, and it breathes, and, it, and it's got waterproofing, and all the things that you would experience on a backpack trip in the mountains a lot of those things translate to a uh, to a spring turkey hunt if you're if you're doing it the mobile way. You know a lot of the ways that we've been talking about. So, scree is uh, I'm I'm kind of I'm marrying those two things because while uh, spring turkey really wasn't on the forefront of the innovation, this product translates very well, and the new camouflage pattern is phenomenal. And you can go check out some of my stuff um, on Instagram and on ScreeGear.com, and you can see. You can see it in the field, and it is very impressive. And we talked about the turkey's eyes and all that, and uh, the summit pattern does awesome. So. Nice. Um, so as uh, as we're kind of winding this down, um, wanted to really quick give you, a, give you a second to talk about uh, T3 Calls as well. Tell us about the calls. Uh, tell us about the company. You guys do also do custom calls too, right? Yeah, that's kind of how we started as a custom call maker, and we – you know, obviously have a line of, of stuff that we do that uh, it's just still custom in that uh, we're a small shop, handmade craftsmanship and all that. But we can do custom design. You know, you've seen the glass and the crystal calling surface pot calls or more slate calls. Well, you know, if you have um, – we've done a lot of different things. Uh, you know, a logo, uh, maybe a memorable picture of, of, of you with – with a turkey or you and a family member with a turkey, I mean, we can build you a custom call that has that picture under the glass. Um, another thing that we do a lot of is promotional stuff. So, like, companies will uh, have their logo put in there and give them out uh, to clients and such things. And a lot of outfitters, we have a lot of turkey outfitters that do that, and they sell them in their lodges. And it's a custom handmade call, um, and we can we can brand them with, with different things like that. And then also for... You know, for the big-time turkey hunters that are, are real particular about what kind of calls they use, if there's a certain thing that they're looking for, say, hey, man, look, I, you know, I, this is how I like my mouth calls built, and I can't really get that on the retail shelf. We will build them for you What if you know what stretches and what thicknesses and what kind of cuts, and, you know, we can we can custom build that kind of stuff for you. But, you know, it's t3calls.com, but, you know, we make duck calls. We make deer calls. We actually just made a snow goose call that we're sending up in uh, northwest Missouri at uh, our buddy Brad Ganaway at Pro Outfitters is going to be our the exclusive retailer of our new snow goose call because he does those huge snow goose conservation hunts. So we do waterfowl and, and deer and turkey, but uh, 
we're a small shop and we're handmade, so we're all about you know that. We're all about quality and craftsmanship. So that's kind of how we who we are. We're not a we're not a we're not trying to be a humongous nationwide distributed retailer outsourced mass manufacturing. We're about making a serious quality quality product that is made out of you know hand selected, handcrafted materials and all that kind of stuff. So that's just that's just kind of who we are. Really, just a couple of dudes that like to build calls and we kind of enjoy the call making and the the fellowship of selling calls and hunting with people that are using our calls. So it's it's that's just kind of who we are. <laughs> all right, so let's go through it one more time. Uh, people want to find T three calls online. Where are they going? T three calls dot com, and you can look up T three game calls on Facebook or Instagram, and you'll find us. So T3, just I guess one more thing, T3 stands for Talking the Talk. So a long time ago, when I first started doing this with Bruce, he's selling these calls and he's calling them Talking the Talk Custom Calls. I'm like, well, that's cute and all, but you know how hard it is to brand and market that many letters on anything? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, i got to put a paragraph on the front of this hat, bro. That's just not working. So... uh, you know, so that's what T3 stands for. So if you search Talking the Talk, you'll find us that way too. So yeah, we're on all the social media, YouTube, Vimeo, everything. Just look up T3 Game Calls. All right, and if people wanted to find the progression series on the interwebs, where are they headed? So ScreeGear.com, actually uh, all of our videos are on Scree's YouTube channel and they're embedded on our own page at ScreeGear.com. Um or you can go to Scree's YouTube channel and find the playlist for that. And uh, you can go to the Progression Series on Instagram and follow along with all of our stories and pictures and links to all our videos that way. So we're, we're a digitally, digital media production, YouTube, and Internet distributed. And finally, if folks wanted to follow along with your nonsense, where, where can they find you? <laughs> Lock Wheeler. I'm simple, dude. No dashes, no underscores, just my name, L-O-C-K-E-W-H-E-E-L-E-R, at Lockwheeler. All right. There you go. So you know how we like to end it. If uh, somebody came up to you and said, you know, Lock, I'm sold. I, I want to I get into turkey hunting or I just I want to get into hunting in general. I, I don't feel like I have the background or resources to do it. Uh, what, what advice would you give that person? Well, um... For tur- I'll answer it two ways. For turkey hunting, I would recommend that you research and, and seek out a guided hunt in the Midwest or in Texas, somewhere that you can go with someone who's going to tag you along and really let you experience the spring woods because that's what's going to hook you and that's what's going to put you in that mode, you know, where you just can't get enough and you start becoming a sponge because, you know, what you don't want to do is, is is try to do it on your own on public land and it just gets frustrating you can't find a turkey and it's like i can't hear a turkey gobble what is this crap it's hot and there's mosquitoes you know so you know if you want to get into turkey hunting i i say you know uh start there get the full experience and then start to find how to do it on your own um as far as just generally an outdoorsman man you know just i it's i think that uh i know i've heard this talked about on your podcast and you and i have talked about it just man the hunting community uh like everything else there's some sour apples but generally man there's a lot of good people and if you want to get into hunting in whatever part of the country that you, that you know go to your local pro shop you know go to any outdoor retailer and man just you know just 
just introduce yourself. Just ask questions. Um, uh, just ignore all the noise on a lot of the online forums and stuff where people are trying to, you know, be bigger than the next guy and everybody. It's, a, it's not a competition. The majority of the hunting world is good people, and the majority of the hunting world that's got any sense about them realizes that we have to grow our sport in order to preserve our rights. And conservation is about our land and it's about our animals, but it's also about preserving our legal rights to hunt. And if we don't recruit hunters and we don't get people involved and we don't become a family that welcomes people and gets them involved, you know, we stand to not have, the, you know, the, the platform or the, the strength of numbers that we need to preserve our rights. So, you know, take that to heart and realize that, you know, when you reach out to people to get information and find out where to get started, and and um, you should be finding people that are that are looking for you too, because we all should be recruiting others, and we all should be inviting them to go hunting and inviting. If, if you're not, if you don't have access to the land to invite somebody, you should at least be open and friendly with your knowledge and your experience and 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 your ability to try to help answer questions and put somebody in the right direction, because. Uh, a lot of this nonsense, this bickering amongst hunters, and this, uh, you know, making you feel like if you can't go kill a trophy buck every year, then you're not a real hunter. I mean, that kind of crap, man, that stuff's got to stop, and, and, and I hope that new hunters aren't finding that. And, uh, and I hope that if they do and they run into that, that they realize that's not the majority, and that they just, um, you know, seek out the good guys. There's so many people that would love to take you under their wing, and if they can't take you on a hunt, they can put you, uh, you know, in the right place and, and lead you in the right direction and they're willing to do so. So don't be intimidated, man. That's awesome, man. Well, brother, I super appreciate you taking the time hopping on the podcast. I know it's uh, getting a little bit late out there, so uh, <laughs> I'll let you go. Oh man, no problem. I'm, I'm, I love talking Turkey. You know that we've done it so many times off of the recorder. So, Oh yeah. Uh, anytime. And I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk and, share some of the stuff that I'm working on and I'm just waiting on you to let me know when we're going to go turkey hunting. I know you, you claim you're all busy in April and stuff, but Hey man, <laughs> you just gotta make it happen. Just, just call my boss. As long as, as long as I don't get fired, we'll, we'll figure it well, out. You, I'm just waiting on, I'm just waiting on, on, on your call, dude. And we're going to make it happen. So awesome. I appreciate you having me on Sam. I, I enjoy every time we get a chance to talk. Always good talking with you. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 92 of Living Country in the City. Another big thank you to Locke for taking the time out of his evening to sit and uh, hop on the podcast. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 92 to get more info about everything we've talked about in today's episode. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com.